Kevin, Weta, thank you for talking to us. Thanks for the opportunity, Philippe. Now, I was wondering if we could talk uh, about the Koa people first off. I mean, native title is always interesting and wonderful to hear uh, positive uh, decisions in regards to it. But I was wondering if for just our listeners, talk to us about the Koa people, where their land is, and maybe a little bit of their background, if you could. Yeah, great, Philippe. Um, so the Koa people are, are people traditionally of the upper Diamantina River area. So it's in the northwest of Queensland. Um, there are about four towns that pretty much make up the area. Um, so there's the town of Winton, which we would know of from uh, the background of Qantas. Uh, obviously, there's a you know it's, it's, there's a story that Qantas originated there, but Winton is um, is is one of the major towns there. But there are other towns in the area, small small towns, Clonoona, Caulfield, and Middleton. It's largely um, an area that's got pastoral lease and I, leases, and I probably want to talk about the effect of pastoral leases a little bit later in, in this discussion, but. Um, so the, the Koa people um, um, were people that uh, really were impacted by the whole colonisation process and the frontier wars that occurred in the in, in the, um, the 1800s in, in Queensland. And as a result of uh, you know, those frontier wars, um, the Koa people were were um, spread uh, all around Queensland. They were taken mm. to to Sherberg in the south, to Warabinda in the central area near Rockhampton. Uh, to Sherbert, to to uh, to um, Palm Island and to, to Yarrabah, so um, you know the the frontier wars uh, had impacted upon the Koa people and their in their um, ability to stay on country. But I think the important thing about this determination this week on country in Winton was that despite the ravages of of of, of uh, colonisation. If a people maintain strong spiritual connection um, through their law and custom, even if they are not always on country, that the law recognises that, that that spiritual connection can be converted into a legal recognition. And that's, that's essentially what happened this week um, when the federal court uh, travelled to Winton. Um, we, we almost uh, couldn't make it again because of uh, the COVID restrictions, but uh, thankfully... Uh, uh, the court was allowed to uh, to proceed with the determination of Winton, and um, on Wednesday this week, Justice Darrington uh, recognised that the Koa people um, had maintained um, their, their connection to their country, that um, um, that that it should be recognised legally, and, uh, and and a determination uh, was the result of that. So the Koa people, uh, just in summary, that there are. Um, you know, are people that are that are really connected to their country, and manage to maintain connection off country, and th- and this week was actually a recognition of of bringing them back to country and connecting them. So it was really a lovely story. So yeah. And I was wondering if we could delve into the story a little bit as well and the history of the claim. Now, I understand that the native title claim was originally filed in 2015, but there's even a more extensive story to this, Kevin. Can you maybe yeah. delve into this, please, for us? Yeah, Philippe, I, I, think, I think this is probably the extension of the frontier wars that I mentioned about and the legacy of those frontier wars, how they still play it in, in, in modern times. So essentially, um, people might recall 
the WIC judgment in 1996. And obviously we had the Marbo decision in 92, but the next big native title claim, uh, sorry, hearing, leaving aside um, the sea claim of the Yarmia, which was also important, I probably shouldn't discount that, but, but there was a really big case, the WIC, the WIC decision. And that was a decision in the High Court that basically said that pastoral leases do not necessarily extinguish native title. And people might remember the furore that was created around that. You had pastoralists and everyone saying, hang on, um, we thought a lease gave us exclusive possession and therefore we didn't have to deal with that title. So, um, and it was heavily politicised and the WIC judgment was a good outcome for Aboriginal people. It basically recognised that pastoral leases didn't extinguish native title, but there was could be partial extinguishment. And But, you know, whitefellas didn't have to fear anything because if there was an inconsistency between the pastoral lease and the native title uh, rights that were being asserted, the pastoral lease would still prevail. So, you know, there was a lot of politicisation around that time. But what happened was that soon after that, there was a, a, a fellow called Noel Kennedy, who I think at that time he was either the CEO or the president of the Cattlemen's Union, and he had a property at called Castle Hills, Castle Hill Holdings, and that, um, and he was trying to send a message to Australia that um, he wanted to test, um, you know, this, this concept of connection to country in light of the WIC judgment, and so he he brought a, a, what's called a non-claimant application. So under the Native Title Act, you can bring Native Title claims that are brought by TOs. Um, and compensation claims and variation applications. But there is this other beast called a non-claimant application. It's when non-Indigenous peoples um, can, can bring claims to show that native title does not exist. And Mr Kennedy uh, brought a, a claim, a non-claimant application in 1998 as a direct response to test the WIC judgment. And Koa, the Koa people, um, you know, they didn't actually have a claimant. So... The only way you can respond to a non-claimant application is to file a, a, a claimant application, and, and, and they did that. But at the same time, so this is um, so Kennedy lodges his claim in '98, and the Colour people lodged their first claim in 1999. Mm. At the same time, you had the Yorty Yorta litigation that was occurring down in Victoria, and we all know that's a, also another significant native title. Um, case that resulted in the High Court in 2002, later in 2002, um, you know, setting out the, the really difficult burden of proof required to, to, to meet native title. So what the Coa people did, um, they were heading for a trial. So they were unprepared, heading for a trial with a fairly, you know, um, motivated uh, non-claimant um, applicant in the form of Mr Kennedy. And they strategically decided to discontinue their claim and sadly for them um, a negative determination was was made over the Castle Hills property but we fast forward now to 2015 it was then Mrs Kennedy so Mr Noel Kennedy's um, wife who wanted to actually upgrade an adjoining pastoral lease to 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 freehold brought another non-claimant application and it was actually that claim that precipitated the colour people to say, not again. So they actually filed their their colour native title application in response to Mrs Kennedy's uh, application. Now, regrettably, for strategic reasons, again, 
because this was going to go to a trial and the co-op people uh, did not want to you know, proceed to trial on this particular matter. And so Mrs. Kennedy's um, application, the, the co-op people withdrew the, their, their claim from that particular area. But then what happened is that um, the remainder of their claim, and it's some 31,000 square kilometres of mm. the claim which, which remains, um, that was, was the subject of the, um, the state government um, undertaking an on-country evidence-collecting process. And, you know, these things are fairly rigorous. And the state was satisfied, the state of Queensland was satisfied that the COA people had maintained a continuity of connection. And that's what the court recognised this week. So th that's a, there's a very long backstory into this. And it probably just highlights the politicisation of native title um, and what, um, what you know, traditional owners have to go through uh, to get recognition. But, you know, full, full, all, 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 all power to the colour people for, uh, you know, enduring, um, you know, the, the process, but also being strategic about how to deal with native title. And I just think that, yeah, they're just, uh, you know, I commend them for, for their tenacity and, uh, and, their, and their focus. A significant story and a fascinating one at that, I must say. Um, what was the significance of the ceremony, I suppose, uh, that occurred this week then? Tell us a little bit about some of what you witnessed. I'm assuming that you were there on the ceremony on uh, country. No, unfortunately, I would have loved to have been there, but okay. I broke my foot in a mishap with a ladder <laughs> with <Okay>. pride. So, <laughs> so I, I, I couldn't participate, but we had a, um, a, a wonderful streaming of the actual hearing. So I could, uh, a lot of color people who couldn't actually make it out to Winton um, could could um, the the the, um, the the court determination hearing was uh, was streamed and so we could participate wherever we, we 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 were and that was a wonderful event. I understand the um, you know there was a, there was a smoking ceremony um, before the proceeding in um, in, in in the um, the court there and uh, you know that was a, you know that was a wonderful exercise just to kind of like bring bring you know the the, the good spirits to. To, to the thing that was going to going to follow, and um, so there was that traditional um, uh, ceremony of, of a smoking, um, and then um, there was you know the court the court the hearing was undertaken. The state government uh, um, appeared and consented, uh, and um, Justice Darrington um, made the determination. There were, there were only about ten um, respondents to this claim, so it's you know it wasn't you know made a toll you can have. Know, potentially hundreds of respondents, but uh, there were there were um, uh, only ten respondents. So they're largely the state government, two two councils, so the Winton Council and the McKinlay Council, and um, and also some other um, uh, pastoralists. So um, and, and Telstra and and Ergon. So there are some infrastructure providers. So um, yeah, it was it was a wonderful day. Um, it was actually in the scheme of things. Um, the claim was lodged in 2015 and a determination, you know, some five, six years later. Um, that's a relatively fast period uh, to, to get a determination. So, um, you, know, good, you, know, you know, full credit to the, to the um, COA people for, um, you know, once they actually were forced to bring, in, bring the application, they actually moved through it and undertook all the processes with that and, and the respondent parties eventually consented. And, um, and that's what happened on, on Wednesday. Are you aware of what potential the COA people will now undertake with the land? Do you think maybe ranger groups or other initiatives uh, that COA people will undertake on their land now that this claim has been uh, has come gone through? 
Well, Philippe, this is so. I think the important things um, is around consolidating the Indigenous estates. So mm. there is still more claim, more areas to be claimed. Interestingly, in this native title application, there are some parks, um, national parks and state parks that that actually, um, because of the time frame of things, the state and the applicant, the, the Kaua people, agreed to defer an app, a, a native title application over that area. So that's still a bit of unfinished business, which is good that the state has actually said that they'll look at that. So, um, so, so that'll be the next piece of work. Um, I think there'll be compensation claims, you know, mm. arising from some of these applications. Um, and, you know, that's something that we would be focusing on. But in the meantime, obviously, um, the current people need to, it's, it's, they're writing the next chapter of their, of their, um, uh, of their time, and it's around organising themselves around what they want to do with leveraging their native title rights. They don't have exclusive possession; they have what's called non-exclusive possession, which is a, which is basically you know rights to access, rights to take for non-commercial purposes, rights to conduct ceremony. So, but they're the important rights. So I want to emphasise that, even though they may not be exclusive possession, like full-blown freehold type um, rights, they're important um, rights. And I think that's the next challenge for all native title holders is how we understand the rights that have been recognised and how we might leverage them. And I think the critical thing about this is actually how you might utilise utilize those rights in relation to other parties, interestingly, including pastoralists. So the next phase of the Koa people would be how they actually transform the bad blood that not on their part, but you know, had had started intergenerationally with with people who who invaded their country. How you actually change that for the benefit of everyone that lives on that country? Not you know, and color color people, you know, they're proper deadly people. I, I, I the way that they actually interact with the process, and I just think that they that they're in a good space. Legal recognition is a really important platform, and you know, the world's their oyster. That they will actually utilise those rights and form different relationships and actually create more rights as a result of that and strengthen relationships. So, you know, I, I just think it's an exciting time for colour people. It could be possibly an exciting time for Aboriginal people across the state. Uh, and this is not necessarily interlinked with native title, but I, I see actions from the Queensland government like giving back ownership of four national parks, including the Daintree, uh, which you may be aware of uh, last week. And the government also renamed Fraser Island, returning the traditional owner's name for the island to make it official to Kagar. Um, these actions from the government certainly recognise that uh, there is movement in this space. And uh, I, I noticed that Resources Minister Scott Stewart uh, also congratulated the Koa people, saying native title was now recognised across nearly 30% of the state. Do you think that there is a certain advancement uh, and working togetherness with the Queensland government in terms of how land is used and operated uh, from from an Indigenous perspective? Yeah, look, there's a lot in that question. I can say that, so Section 47C, so remember when I was said before about parks and so forth, so I understand that the, the, the land up in the Daintree was as a result of activating amendments to the Native Title Act that came through this year, where the state government mm. and native title holders could consent to um, um, the, the, the handing over to, of, of parks. 
and Gari, so Butchula country, Fraser Island, which we represented as well, um, um, that's also something similar. So, so, so there's been an amendment to the Native Title Act that came into force this year that allows the state and traditional owners, it's just probably another tool in the toolbox to consolidate the Indigenous estate. So that's a good thing. Uh, and it's good to see that the state government is, is actually practising um, that by actually implementing the intent of the Native Title Act by actually trying to increase the area of land that's available to people. Because we know because of the colonisation process, um, you know, there's very little, uh, um, um, very little land to be claimed. Um, and giving back land through 47C uh, is an important thing. So that's one point. The second point I would say is that um, because we are getting legal recognition through determinations in the native title process, native title is just really a process, not an outcome. So it's actually how you might leverage that legal recognition to broader place-based planning, um, policy, uh, policy development. And so people can actually start to probably utilise a broader suite of rights, probably rights that are more, more, more better, spelt out better in the United Nations declarations on rights of Indigenous peoples, and actually how you might use native title then kind of as a scaffold to, to, to then utilise um, UNDRIP, those broader uh, international principles, and then apply them to place. And I think the Queensland government is actually getting on board with some of those kind of principles. What we're interestingly seeing in Queensland, so earlier this year we had an amendment to the Biodiscovery Act where, um, where Queensland government will recognise the, the, um, the, the, um, the traditional knowledge of, of TOs uh, around the commercialisation of, of biodiscovery, so plants and a whole range of things. But that, to me, the recognition of that is actually is a recognition of the principle of UNDRIP, and it just goes to show that the state government is starting to change its way of thinking about um, First Nations and how they interface with, with, with the, broader, the broader world. And I think this actually augurs well for a conversation that we're just starting in Queensland now around a pathway to treaty. And I think the building blocks of getting there, native title, broader recognition of rights, self-determination on country, really being involved in place-based governance, um, it augurs well for having that really sophisticated um, conversation about what does treaty look like. So they're all building blocks and they're all interlinked. And I think, you know, bringing all these things into into the box rather than them being outside the box is really important in, in the conversation. Will we be seeing any other native title determinations in the not-too-distant future in Queensland, uh, just to get a sense of where it's at in the state? Oh, look, I think... Um, um, probably it goes back to your previous question. I think we're getting a critical mass of native title determinations in Queensland. So we've got another determination coming up later in the, uh, sorry, next month, the Uwalei people from, that um, are down near the New South Wales border, but they're in Queensland, obviously. And we've just got a number of determinations coming up. So we're getting a critical mass of native title determinations in this state, but indeed across the whole country. And as we, you know, as those determinations come to to to, to, for, to the fore, I think it's going to be really important how how neighbours, native title holder neighbours work together. So it's an exciting time as to how 
clusters or regions of native title holders and mob work together. And that then obviously feeds into another conversation that we just had around treaty. But, um, yeah, there's plenty happening in the space. And it will be a very interesting and long journey, I'm sure, as well. Kevin Smith, thank you very much for having a yarn with us here at Karma.